Hello to all my friends and family in the world of Facebook and the internet. Bill Allen here. Glad to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope that you have enjoyed and appreciated the series, the series of studies uh, on Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20, the armor of God. I've enjoyed bringing them to you. And yes, this is the last lesson in that series. Uh, this coming Thursday, I'm going to share a video link to a previous lesson that I have uh, done just recently, but uh, for today we're going to be closing out this series of lessons on the armor of God with this reminder that the battle belongs to the Lord. And if the battle belongs to the Lord, then I suppose that we best be using the armor of God to fight it. Again, I hope that you have appreciated these lessons and that they have been a good reminder to you uh, to trust in the Lord and in His mighty armor. Uh, we began by talking about that great hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise, uh, as it talks about uh, take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God. That term panoply is that term that's transliterated from the original Greek language in Ephesians 6, the armor, the full armor of God. So hello to my dear and wonderful friends, Jenny and Eric Mosley, my cousin Gail and Keith. Always good to see your names popping up, and I would imagine we'll have a few more that show up either live or uh, watching a little bit later on my Facebook page, on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page, or um, on our westirwin.com website uh, in our video archives part of our live streaming page. Um, and so with all of that, uh, let's get down to it. I apologize for starting a few minutes late today, but you know... As the saying goes, it's 3 o'clock somewhere, and so we're going to pretend it's 3 o'clock right here, and we'll get right on going. You may want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 uh, on your phone or on your in your Bible, because they, we will be reading that passage uh, one more time as we close out uh, this, uh, this study. Uh, we began uh, quite a while back, well, a while back anyway, a couple of months ago, as we uh, opened up this study and talked about the armor of God and uh, what exactly that means and remembering that great hint, that great song in heavenly armor will enter the land of battle belongs to the Lord. Uh, there's nobody that can stand against him. In fact, as we'll see in just a moment, that passage in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 says, with the armor of God, we will be able to stand. No one can stand against us. It reminds us of that great statement of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. Uh, as Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, upon that rock, upon that confession, upon that great truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They, there's nothing that can prevail against the church. And though Satan tries to stop us, as that passage seems to indicate, um, he can't do it. Uh, even the gates of hell cannot uh, keep the church out of looking to spread the word of God and looking to help and to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, and so throughout scripture in the Old Testament and to the end of Deuteronomy and the first part of Joshua, as uh, God was transferring the leadership of his people uh, from Moses to Joshua, 
several times in those few chapters it is said be strong and courageous even be strong and very courageous and so what Ephesians 6 reminds us of today is that our battle is a spiritual battle but because it is a spiritual battle that battle belongs to the Lord it doesn't belong to Satan it doesn't belong to the demons um, it doesn't even belong to us it belongs to the Lord and so this is such a great uh, great chapter uh, in Ephesians 6 as Paul finishes out this great letter writing from jail not knowing for sure whether he will be released or not whether his appeal to Caesar was a good move that saved his life or just prolonged his death um, and delayed it but it turns out from a historical perspective he was released and we get an indication that he kind of figured that in Philippians chapter 1 when he said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain and he said if I die then it's all the great news for me because I'll be in the presence of the Lord but but if I live then that means more service here in this life and this mission field of the world and he says I kind of think that's what God has in store for me and he was right um, he was right but before he Caesar heard his appeal before he was released he wrote these what we call the prison epistles of uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon and one of those of course is Ephesians and he writes to this very important church in Ephesus we see uh, we see it throughout uh, the New Testament beginning in Acts as Paul uh, went there and, and preached there uh, just popped in really on a second journey but on the third mission journey stopped and stayed quite a while in that center of pagan worship great is Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians that crowd uh, and riot kept screaming and chanting um, in Acts 19 um, and then of course in Acts 20 Paul calls for the elders from Ephesus uh, as he is passing back through not wanting to spend a lot of time in the city and so he tries not to get bogged down there and just has the elders come to him and that very heartfelt uh, passage that is described by Luke in Acts chapter 20 as they meet together um, and so we look at all the things that we've covered and we consider all of these uh, great statements and and even just looking at the book of, of Ephesians uh, starting in in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 before he ever gets to the application part of it in chapters 4 through 6 he talks about this spiritual battle he talks about how our enemy is the ruler the prince of the ruler of the air this this incredible uh, description of Satan himself and he says he's he's powerful he has a lot of power in this world but he doesn't have power over us so as we've looked at this passage and we've looked at these items and we've looked at our battle we realize that ours is a spiritual battle that we are fighting spiritual enemies but the battlefield is the world battlefield is not just the world in general but it's the world that you live in it's the world that I live in it's the instances and the people and the circumstances that uh, we are involved in that uh, Satan uses to try to turn us away from God on Sunday mornings this summer in our a combined adult class at West Irwin Church of Christ here in Tyler I've been leading a discussion of faith builders and joy stealers and every week we talk about something that God uses to build our faith but that Satan can use also 
to steal our joy and to try to destroy our faith. And, and so we, we're reminded that uh, this is a spiritual battle, but we're also reminded that the battle belongs to the Lord. And just as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Love that passage of scripture so much. And so as we think about the church, we realize the church is in the world. It's not worldly, but it is cultural. And we talked about that some, if you remember early on, talking about how the church is, of course, a cultural church. Um, why am I wearing this? Why, why are we talking on the internet? Well, it's because that's the culture we live in. We actually have great blessings in this culture and great challenges. And that's been true of every generation. It's been true of every place. It's been true of every, every, uh, uh, every culture. We, we have challenges and we have opportunities. And so our goal and our, our role as Christians and as the church is to um, go into that fight, uh, join in with other soldiers of Christ and arise <laughs> and fight that battle, fight that spiritual battle, but use the armor of God. And we have no chance of winning without the armor of God, but with the full armor of God, um, victory is assured. In fact, victory has already uh, been won through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And so we talk about the church not being worldly, not taking on the characteristics of the world. We remember Jesus in his prayer in John 17 before his death. He says, Father, I, I, they're not of this world any more than I am of this world. And yet, just as you have sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. And that's exactly what has happened. And that makes it a tough, tough fight. And that makes it very hard. And certainly Jesus doesn't guarantee us that things will go any better for us than they did for him. And he was rejected many times, even by people that he felt like were his own people. He was rejected and, and then ultimately betrayed and uh, forsaken and denied and convicted and crucified. And now he sends us out into the same world that did all those things to him. And yet, for some reason or another, we think that it's, it's not going to be the same. We think that, that it's, we're going to be treated so much better. In many, many cases, and many times, we are, and we're thankful for that. But Jesus offers no guarantee that that will be the case. In fact, he guarantees in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> just as he says in John 17 in his prayer, uh, just as he says throughout 1 Peter, um, just as he says here in Ephesians 6, it's going to take uh, the armor of God for you to survive and be victorious in this spiritual battle. And so one of the battles that we face is making sure the church, even though it reflects our current culture and place and time, it never becomes worldly, but rather the values that we have come from the word of God. This past uh, Sunday, I shared during the sermon time some interaction between Jesus and the Roman governor, Pilate, during those great passages in John 18 and 19 especially. And Jesus saying, look, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my subjects would fight for me. And that's why Pilate was allowed to convict Jesus. That's why the soldiers were allowed to crucify him because it wasn't about this world and being victorious and, and having power 
and authority in this world. It was about having ultimate power, which is uh, only attained through his sacrifice on the cross. And when that blood was shed, then that allowed for the opportunity to us, for us to be victorious as well and to have our sins wiped away. What a great, great blessing that is. And so we, we look back through the pages of Scripture to that first century church in the New Testament, and uh, we ask ourselves, you know, how does that apply to us? We are the 21st century church. Uh, if you're around here, then you're in the United States of America. You could be anywhere else in the world, and that really doesn't matter. Wherever you are, it is the 21st century church that you are a part of in your time and place and your location, fighting the battles that you face there. But Scripture calls us to be victorious. It calls us to be confident. It calls us to put on the full armor of God uh, wherever our battlefield is because it is a spiritual battle and the battle belongs to the Lord. And so we're called to be separate from the world. Uh, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, Paul makes it very, very clear that we're not to conform to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as he said in the verse previous to that, at the beginning of Romans 12, he says we are to uh, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, just as Jesus offered his body on a real cross in a very physical way. We offer our bodies, our lives, in uh, the service of, of Jesus Christ uh, in, in other ways, uh, not conforming to the world, but being transformed so that everything we say and everything we do, as Colossians 3, verse 17 says, uh, it will be done to honor God. It will be done in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, out of a grateful, thankful heart. And we look to the Word of God to guide us. We'll talk about that in just a moment as we go through these verses in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. But it is our Word that is our guide, and Jesus himself said that in that prayer. In John 17, 17, he said to the Father, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Pilate didn't know what truth was. In fact, when Jesus told him, all who are on the side of the truth fight for me, Pilate said, what, what is truth? Uh, being the good politician that he was, he was very successful in this world. But it cost him perspective and it cost him the understanding of what real, true, genuine, eternal truth is. And yet Jesus was standing right in front of him. And so Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when he says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. We see that word in the person of Jesus Christ. As John makes very clear, in John 1, the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is one who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus came to reveal, came to live out, came to live with us. The call uh, to be full of grace and truth and to live exactly that way. Uh, we're called upon in the words of Stanley Hauerwas and William Williman. Uh, from their comments on the book of First Peter, to be resident aliens, resident immigrants. Immigrants are people that are in a country that's not their own. And Paul himself said, um, our citizenship is in heaven. And yet we live in this world, but we live as immigrants. 
and yet we're resident immigrants. What does that mean, Bill? Well, that means that we're immigrants. This world is not our permanent home, but like the great Carrie Underwood sang in that beautiful, beautiful song, this is our temporary home. And temporary typically lasts for decades. And so then the question becomes, how are we to live in this temporary home? How are we to live in this world that is not our permanent dwelling place? How do we live as resident immigrants? We're residents of this world, but our true citizenship, our true home is in heaven. How do we do that? Well, I think that's why the New Testament was written, so that it could tell us how we are to live, how we are to be victorious. And the way we are victorious in this life is through the Word of God uh, by looking to that armor that He has provided for us to fight this spiritual battle. And so Jesus sends us into the world, but He doesn't send us into the world empty-handed. He calls on us to not conform it to the world, as we just mentioned from Romans 12, verse 2, but rather to be transformed and to be transformers. Not the kind that your kid has in their playroom or your grandkid or that you watch on TV, but it is um, we are to be transforming the world the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, is that we are ambassadors for Christ, pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. We are in the ministry of reconciliation. And so what we want to do is not conform to the world, not ignore the world and separate ourselves completely from it, but rather as resident immigrants, as living in the midst of the world still for a while, for as long as God intends, uh, to seek to transform the world around us into becoming more and more what their creator, our creator, uh, created us all to be. So with all of that in mind, let's take a look at this great passage in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 and remind ourselves of the different elements of the armor of God. Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. The call to commit to this spiritual battle but not to commit to it without any armor, not to commit to it in just our street clothes, but rather to put on the full armor of God, the panoply of God, so that when all is said and done, we will be able to stand, but not just us, those around us, that we can help and save, can be able to stand as well. So what is this full armor of God? Well, Paul, as you know, enumerates these items, starting in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The very first piece of armor he talks about is this right here. The belt of truth, the word of God. Uh, that's where we must start. Every question we ask about what we're to do or how we're to live in whatever aspect of our life, that's the first question. What does the Bible say? What does it say in the scriptures? Because the scriptures are the only place we can go to and find the inspired and authoritative word of God. 
Uh, yes, we struggle to understand it, and yes, we discuss with others what it might mean. All of that's true, but ultimately, we look to that belt of truth buckled around our waist as our guide and our standard. That's always been the case, and that's the case today. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Again, that breastplate covers the heart, covers some of the most vital organs in our body, and it's the breastplate of righteousness. Paul speaks of the righteousness of God that comes, according to Romans 3, through faith in Jesus Christ. As he says in Ephesians 2, uh, God has saved us uh, by his grace through our response of faith, and, and we can't even boast in that, but we can obediently accept that salvation that Jesus offers through the response of faith, believing in this message, turning away from our lives of sin, that's repenting, and changing the direction we're on, and confessing that faith, that that's what we truly believe, and then being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. What Paul tells us in Romans 6 is that we die to sin. We're buried with Christ through that baptism into death, and then we're raised to live a new life. And that new life takes us all the way through the rest of our time here in this world. And every day we continue to seek that belt of truth, to understand it and to be obedient to it. And we continue to seek that breastplate of righteousness so that we too can continue uh, to be the righteousness of God. That great verse, my favorite verse these days, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The belt of truth, um, the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Our feet are ready to go with the gospel. Uh, it's not barefoot that we're out there on the battlefield, but we have those soldier shoes on. And in the armor of God, those soldier shoes uh, is the gospel of peace. And we're ready to go. We're ready to take it wherever. Uh, just as Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Here am I, Lord, send me. We say the same thing. Just as Jesus gave the Great Commission, just as he challenged that man, Mark 5, with the legion of demons that he had healed, not to go with him, but to actually stay in his own place, in his own country, in his own land, and tell people what God has done in his life. That's what God calls us to do as well. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. First century soldiers would, would dip the point of those arrows, arrows in tar and they would light it and then they would fire them away. And if you didn't have the shield, then not only could, were you in danger of, of being killed by the sharp arrows, but you were also in danger of, of seeing things burned up and burning your, yourself to death. Uh, but with the shield of faith, we're able to counteract that. It is able to overcome all those fiery arrows that Satan will, will put against us. And he will. We know he will. He knows just how to get us. He knows just where to aim. He knows just what kind of arrow to use. And he's very good at what he does. But he's limited by the armor of God, if we will just use it 
We hold up that shield of faith and protect ourselves just like those first century Roman soldiers would hold up their shields and protect themselves. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Just like the breastplate, our helmet protects us in a very vulnerable place. Um, we all know what how devastating a head injury would be. And so God says, put on the helmet of salvation. That's the only way uh, we can be protected is to be saved through the blood of Christ, uh, by grace, through the response of faith, uh, being able to accept that salvation that comes through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. If it hadn't been for his sacrifice and his blood, there's nothing we could have done, be able to do, but because he died for our sins and shed his blood, and was raised from the dead, there is now an answer to that question that's asked several times in the book of Acts, what must I do to be saved? And we hear that response to believe and repent and confess and be baptized and start living a new life. And so we accept that message and we're obedient to that message and we put on that helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. As we said, that sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon uh, that is specifically mentioned. And that sword is, is what we use. It's this sword, the Word of God. Uh, it is that belt of truth. It is what we look to, to defeat Satan and to live faithfully before God. Uh, many question the Word of God, and granted it's a challenge sometimes to understand it, but if we will if we'll read it, if we'll read it with an open heart and an open mind, and if we'll seek to be obedient to it, uh, I believe that God's Spirit will help us in all of that, and His church will help us in all of that, and we'll be faithful if that's what we really, really want to do. If we approach the Word of God with our own decision already made about what we want, then I'm not sure how effective it is. But if we take on that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then we will defeat Satan. We will defeat all of those like Pilate, like the Jewish leaders who stand against the truth. And then one more, as we said in verses 18 through 20, and that is communicating with headquarters. We can't leave prayer out of the armor of God. Verses 18 through 20, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for everyone. Pray for all of those who are seeking the Lord and are seeking to be obedient to him and seeking to share his message with others. We pray for them. But then Paul gets specific in verse 19 and 20. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul was an ambassador in chains. He was a prisoner for the gospel, and yet it didn't, uh, it didn't cause him uh, to give up. But rather he said, pray that I'll continue to preach it and proclaim it fearlessly, to live obedient to it first of all, and then to be willing to proclaim it as well. Um, Ezra of old, uh, back in Ezra chapter 9, said, I, Ezra was faithful in studying the word of God, in obeying the word of God, 
and in teaching the word of God. What a great description. And that's what Paul prays here. That's what the church in the first century in Jerusalem prayed at the end of Acts 4 when they were threatened to be quiet or else face punishment. Uh, that's what we do as well today, that we pray for each other, that we will be faithful students of God's word to come to know and understand what his word and will is, that we would be obedient to it ourselves, and that we would be faithful in fearlessly proclaiming it to others. Uh, that's what we need the armor of God for. And so as we close out this study, again, I'll have a, a link that I'll share on Thursday, but um, we won't have any more studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays from Ephesians chapter 6 this summer. And I hope these have been valuable to you. If you missed them, you can scroll down on my Facebook page or on uh, the West Irwin Church of Christ page and and you can find the previous lessons and you can also go to our website, westerwin.com, W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N.com. Go up there to uh, uh, social media and other resources, click on the live streaming page and scroll down to where it says archive and you'll find a lot of lessons, including these Facebook lessons on the armor of God in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. Um, the Lord told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. And that's our call. And when we do that, we take on the full armor of God. And because we do that, we are able to ultimately stand in victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. God bless you.